0: chapter 18 of the road to understanding this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the road to understanding by eleanor h porter chapter 18 a little bunch of diaries It was three years before the doctor went up to dalton again it was on a sad errand this time john denby had died suddenly and after an hour's hesitation the doctor went up to the funeral there were no garish lights and shrieking violins to greet him as he passed once more up the long familiar walk the warm september sun touched lovingly the old brass knocker and peeped behind the stately colonial pillars of the long veranda it gleamed for a moment on the bald heads of the sombre coated men filing slowly through the wide doorway and it tried to turn to silver the sable grape hanging at the right of the door not until that evening after the funeral did the doctor have the opportunity for more than a formal word of greeting and sympathy with burke denby he had been shocked in the afternoon at the changes in the young man's face But he was more so when at eight o'clock he called at the house he found burke alone in the library the library whose every book and chair and curio spoke with the voice of the man who was gone the man who had loved them so well burke himself to the doctor looked suddenly old and worn and infinitely weary of life he did not at once speak of his father but when he did speak of him a little later it seemed then to want to talk of nothing else things that his father had done and said his little ways his likes and dislikes the hours of delight they had passed together the trips they had taken even the tiddlywinks and mother goose of childhood came in for their share on and on until far into the night he talked and the doctor listened with a word now and then of sympathy or appreciation but with a growing ache in his heart. "'You have been, indeed, a wonderful father and son,' he said at last unsteadily. "'There was never another like us,' the son's voice was very low. There was a moment's silence. The doctor, his beseeching eyes on the younger man's half-averted face, was groping in his mind for the right words to introduce the subject which all the evening had been at the door of his lips—Helen. He felt that now, with Burke's softened heart to lend lenience, and with his lonely life in prospect to plead the need of companionship, was the time, if ever, that an appeal for Helen might be successful. But the right words of introduction had not come to him when Burke himself began to speak again. And it's almost as if I'd lost both father and mother, he went on brokenly, for Dad spoke so much of mother to him she was always with us i think i can remember when i was a little boy how real she was to me in all we did or said she seemed to have a part and always all the way up he used to talk of her except for the time when he stopped abruptly the doctor watching wondered at the white compression that came suddenly to his lips in a moment it was gone however and he had resumed speaking of late years Dad has seemed to talk more than ever of Mother, and he spoke always as if she were with us. And now I'm alone, so utterly alone. Gleason, how ever am I going to live without Dad?" The doctor's heart leaped with mingled fear and elation, fear at what he was about to say, elation that his chance to do it had come. He cleared his throat and began courageously, though not quite steadily. But there's your wife burke if only you he stopped short in dismay at the look that had come into burke denby's face my wife my wife don't speak of my wife now man if you want me to keep my reason the woman who's brought more sorrow to my father than any other living being what do you think i wouldn't give if i could blot out the memory of the anguish my marriage brought to dad I can see his eyes now, when he was pleading with me before it. Afterwards, do you know what a brick Dad was afterwards? Well, I'll tell you. Never by so much as a look, much less a word, has he reproached or censured me. At first he just put up a wall between us. But it was a wall of grief, and sore hurt. It was never anger. I know that now. Then one day somehow I found that wall down, and I looked straight into Dad's eyes. It was never there again that wall I knew of course that dad had never forgotten the hurt and grief were still there That I could so disobey him disregard his wishes But he would not let them be a wall between us any longer then when it all turned out as it did But he never once said I told you so nor even looked it and he was kind and good to Helen always but when I think how I I, who loved him so, brought to him all that grief and anguish of heart. I—my wife indeed, Gleason. i never want to see her face again, or hear her name spoken." "'But—but but your child,' stammered the dismayed doctor faintly. A shadow of quick pain crossed the other's face. "'I know. And that's another thing that grieved Dad. He was fond of his little granddaughter. He used to speak of her—often, till I begged him not to she's mine of course but she's helen's too and she's being brought up by helen not me i can imagine what she's being taught about her father he finished bitterly oh but i'm sure i know she's with a painful color the doctor suddenly warned from within just in time came to a frightened pause burke however lifting a protesting hand changed the subject abruptly and the relieved doctor was glad for once not to have him wish to talk longer of his missing wife and daughter very soon the doctor said good-night and left the house but his heart was heavy perhaps after all he sighed to himself it wasn't just the time to get him to listen to reason about helen when it was his runaway marriage that had so grieved his father years ago and his father now just gone from many lips before he left town the next morning doctor gleason learned much of the life and doings of the denbys during the past few years perhaps the death of john denby had made the dalton tongues garrulous at all events there were nothing loath to talk and the doctor eager to obtain anything that would enable him to understand burke denby was nothing loath to listen yes sir he ain't been well for years john denby hain't related one old man into the doctor's attentive sympathetic ears and i ain't sayin i wonder with all he's been through but you said you was a friend of his didn't you the doctor inclined his head i am indeed an old friend of the family well it's likely then you know something yourself of what's happened though of course you ain't lived there to see it all first you know there was his son's marriage and that cut the old man all up runaway and not what the family wanted at all you know that of course but they made the best of it apparently after a while and young denby took hold first rate at the works right down to the beginning he went to overalls and day wages and he done well first-rate but must a galled some why once for a spell he worked under my son he did the men liked him too when they got over their grinning and nonsense and see he was in earnest you know what a likely chap young Denby can be when he wants to none better smiled the doctor yes well to resume and go on something happened one day in his domestic affairs i mean the pretty young wife and kid lit out for parts unknown and the son went back to his dad he and his dad always was more like pals than anything else some says he sent her away the wife i mean some say she runned away herself like enough you know the rights of it there was a suggestion of a pause and a sly half-questioning glance but at the absolute non-committalism of the other's face the narrator went on hastily well whatever the rights or wrongs of it she went and hain't been seen in these here parts since as i know of not that i should know her if i did see her howsomever well that was a dozen yes fourteen years ago i guess and the old man hain't been the same since he ain't been the same since the boy's marriage for that matter well at first after she went the denbys went kiting off on one of them trips of their and they're always taken and then they came home and opened up the old house and things went on about as they used to fore young denby was married but the old man fell sick first on the trip then afterwards once or twice he went well but that didn't hinder his going off again this time they went one of their bridges always before they let henry or gossett manage the job but this time they went themselves after that they went lots to south america africa australia and i don't know where they seemed restless and uneasy both of em then they begun to bring folks home with em chaps who wore purple silk stocks and neckties and looked as if they'd never done a stroke of work in their lives and women with high heels and false hair my but there was a gay doings there winners there was balls and parties and swell feeds with nigger waiters from boston and even the dishes and what they ate come from there too sometimes they say summers they rode in hayracks and automobiles and danced outdoors on the grass shows you know and they was a show with the women barefooted and bare-armed, and not much on generally. My wife's seen em once, and she was that shocked she didn't get over it for a month. She said she was brought up to keep a modest dress on her that had a decent waist and skirt to it. But my Bill, he's been in Boston two years now, says it's a pageant and art and all right, and that you can do it in pageants when you can't just go walking down the street runnin' into the neighbor, see? I see, nodded the doctor gravely oh well of course they didn't go round like that all the time they played that thing lots where they'd have them little balls and queer little sticks to knock em with they played it all over pike's hill and the durgin pastor and old dalton and they got my grandson to be a-a caddy hazarded the doctor yes that's what they call it and he made good money too doing nothing wish they'd want me for one well as i was saying they had all this company and more and more of it and they gave receptions and asked the whole town sometimes my wife went, and my daughter. Now, they said it was fine and grand and all that, but that they didn't believe old John liked it very well. But Mr. Burke liked it. That was easy to be seen. And it was a pretty little widow there lots. She liked it. Some said as how they thought there'd be a match there sometime, if he could get free. But I guess there weren't anything to that. Anyhow, all of a sudden something happened. Everything stopped right off short. All the gay doings and parties and everybody went home. Then the next thing we knew, the old house was dark and empty again and the denbys gone to australia with another bridge yes i know i remember that interposed the doctor alert and interested did you see them when they came back no well they didn't look like the same men and ever since they've been different somehow stern and silent with never a smile for anybody are no balls and parties now you bet you week in and week out just shut up in that big silent house never going out at all except to the works then we heard he was sick mr john but he got better and was out again the end came sudden nobody expected that but he was a good man a grand good man john denby was he was indeed agreed the doctor with a long sigh as he turned away this story with here and there a new twist and turn the doctor heard on all sides Always he listened attentively, hopefully eager if possible to find some detail that would help him in some further plea to Burke Denby in behalf of the faraway wife. Even the women wanted to talk to him, and did sometimes to his annoyance. Once only, however, did his irritation get the better of his manners. It was when the woman of whom he bought his morning paper at the station newsstand accosted him. Stranger in these parts ain't you come to the funeral didn't you? Why yes? Hm. I thought so he was a fine man. I suppose still I didn't think much of him myself Used to know him too. Well, maybe used to live next to his son same floor My name's Cobb and I used to see but the doctor had turned on his heel without even the semblance of an apology Ten minutes later he boarded the train for Boston To his sister again he told the story of a Dalton trip, and as before he omitted not one detail. But I can't write, of course, to Helen now. He finished gloomily. That is, I can't urge her, coming back, not in the face of Burke's angry assertion that he never wants to see her again. Of course not. But don't worry, dear. I haven't given up hope by any means. Burke worshipped his father. His heart is almost breaking now at his loss. It is perfectly natural, under the circumstances, that he should have this intense anger toward anything that ever grieved his loved father. But wait, that's all we can do anyway. I'll write to Helen, of course, and tell her of her father-in-law's death. You wouldn't tell her what Burke said, Edith? Oh, no, no, indeed, unless I have to, Frank, unless she asks me. But Helen did ask her. By return steamer, came her letter expressing her shocked distress at john denby's death and asking timidly but urgently if in mrs thayer's opinion it were the time now when she should come home if she would be welcomed by her husband to this of course there was but one possible answer and reluctantly mrs thayer gave it and to think groaned the doctor that when now for the first time helen is willing to come We have to tell her she can't. I know, but Edith Sayer resolutely blinked off the tears. I haven't given up yet. Just wait. And the doctor waited. It was indeed, as his sister said, all that he could do. From time to time he went up to Dalton and made his way up the old familiar walk to have a chat with the taciturn, somber-eyed man sitting alone in the great old library. The doctor never spoke of Helen. He dared not take the risk Burke Denby's only interests plainly were business books and the rare curios He and his father had collected a mrs. Gowing a distant cousin had come to be his housekeeper But the doctor saw little of her she seemed to be a quiet Inoffensive little woman plainly very much in the background then came an evening finally however when much to the doctors beautific surprise Burke Denby of his own accord mentioned his wife it was nearly two years after John Denby's death The doctor had run up to Dalton for an overnight visit and had noticed at once a peculiar restlessness in his host's manner an odd impatience of voice and gesture Then abruptly in answer to the doctor's own assertion that Burke needed something to get him away from his constant brooding in the old library need something he exclaimed of course i need something i need my wife and child i need to live a normal life like other men i need but what's the use he finished with outflung hands i know but you yourself by a supreme effort the doctor was keeping himself from shouting aloud with joy oh yes i know it's all my own fault cut in burke crisply you can't tell me anything new on that score that i haven't told myself yes and i know i haven't even been willing to have her name spoken he went on recklessly answering the amazement in the doctor's face for that matter i don't know why i'm talking like this now unless it's because i've always said to you more than i've said to anyone else except dad about helen and now after being such a cad it seems almost due to her that i should say something besides doesn't somebody say somewhere that confession is good for the soul there was a quizzical smile on his lips but there was no smile in his eyes the doctor nodded dumbly afraid of saying the wrong thing he dared not open his lips but terrified at the long silence that followed he finally ventured unsteadily but why this sudden change burke it's not so sudden as you think burke's eyes gloomily fixed on the opposite wall did not turn as he spoke it's been coming gradually for a long time i can see that now still the real eye-opener finally came from mother your mother yes her diary or rather diaries i found them a month ago among father's things i can't tell you what was in them i wouldn't of course if i could they're too sacred Perhaps you think even I should not have read them. Perhaps I shouldn't. But I did, and I'm glad I did, and I believe she'd have wanted me to. Of course, at first, when I picked one of them up, I didn't know what it was. Then I saw my name, and I read page after page. I was a baby, her baby. Gleason, can you imagine what it would be to look deep down into the soul of a good woman and read there all her love, hopes, prayers— and ambitions for her boy, and then suddenly realize that you yourself were that boy? There was no answer, and Burke, evidently expecting none, went on with the rush of abandonment that told of words suddenly freed from long restraint. I took up then the first one-the diary that she kept that first year of her marriage-and if I had felt small and mean and unworthy before, on and on i read and as i read i began to see dimly what marriage means for a woman they were very poor then father was the grandson of the younger runaway son joel and had only his trade and his day wages they lived in a shabby little cottage on mill street long since destroyed this house belonged to the other branch of the family and was occupied by a rich old man and his daughter mother was gently reared and was not used to work those first years of poverty and privation must have been wickedly hard for her but the little diaries carried no complaints they did carry weariness often and sometimes a pitiful terror lest she be not strong enough for what was before her and so bring disappointment and grief to dear john but always for dear john I could see there was to be nothing but encouragement and a steadfast holding forth of high aims and the assurance of ultimate success. Then one by one came the babies, with all the agony and fears and hopes they brought with them. Three came and slipped away into the great unknown before I came to stay. About that time father's patents began to bring success, and soon the money was pouring in. They bought this house. It had been one of their dreams that they would buy it. The old man had died, and the daughter had married and moved away, and the house had been for sale for some time. And so they bought it. And soon after I was born, we came here to live. Then, when I was four years old, Mother died. That's the story, the bald story, but that doesn't tell you anything of what those diaries were to me. In the light they shed I saw my own marriage, and I was ashamed. I never thought of marriage before, from Helen's standpoint. I never thought what she had to suffer and endure and adapt herself to. I know now. Of course very soon after our marriage I realized that she and I weren't suited to each other. But what of it? I had married her. I had effectually prevented her from finding happiness with any other man and yet it didn't seem to occur to me that I had thereby taken on myself the irrevocable duty of trying to make her happy. I have no doubt that my ways and aims and likes and dislikes annoyed her as much as hers did me, but it never occurred to me that my soft greens and browns and Beethoven harmonies got on her nerves just exactly as her pinks and purples and ragtime got on mine. I was never in the habit of looking at anybody's happiness but my own, and I wasn't happy, so I let fling regardless." Burke paused and drew a long sigh. The doctor, puffing slowly at his cigar, sedulously kept his face the other way. The doctor, in his fancy, had already peopled the old room with the joyous Helen and Dorothy Elizabeth, and he feared, should he turn, that his face would sing a veritable hallelujah chorus to the consequent amazement of his host. Mother had trials of her own, lots of them, resumed Burke, after a moment's silence. She even had some not unlike mine, I believe, for I think I could read between the lines that Dad was more than a bit careless at times in manner and speech, compared to the polished ways of the men of her family and social circle. But Mother neither whined nor ran away she just smiled and kept bravely straight ahead and by and by they were under her feet where they belonged all those things that plagued but i i both whined and ran away because i didn't like the way my wife ate her soup and spread her bread they seemed so small now all those little ways i hated small beside the big things that really counted do you know I believe if more people would stop making the little things big, and the big things little, there'd be a whole heap more happiness lying around in this old world. And Helen—poor Helen—she tried, I know she tried, lots of times, when I was reading in the diaries what Mother said about Dad, how she mustn't let him get discouraged or downhearted, how she must tell him she just knew he was going to succeed. Lots of times, then, I think of Helen. Helen used to talk that way to me at first. I wonder now if Helen kept a diary. And I can't help wondering if, supposing I had been a little less apt to notice the annoyances and a little more inclined to see the good. Bah! There, there, old man, forgive me, he broke off with a shrug. I didn't mean to run on like this, I, I really didn't, for all the world like the heart-to-heart advice to the lovelorn in a daily news column. I'm glad you did, Burke, the doctor's carefully controlled voice, expressed cheery interest. That was all. And now what do you propose to do? Do? How? What do you mean? Why, about your wife, of course. Nothing, there's nothing I can do, and that's the pity of it. She will go on, of course, to the end of her life, thinking me a cad and a coward. But if you could be brought together again suggested the doctor in a voice so coldly impersonal it was almost indifferent oh yes of course perhaps but that's not likely i don't know where she is remember and she's not likely to come back of her own accord after all this time besides if she did who's to guarantee that a few old diaries have changed me from an unbearably selfish brute to a livably patient and pleasant person to have about the house not but what i'd jump at the chance to try but well we'll wait till i get it he finished dryly with a lightness that was plainly assumed well anyway burke you've never found anyone else the hallelujah chorus did almost sing through the doctor's voice this time no i've been spared that thank heaven there was one on uh, mrs carrollton yes i met her at that reception you know said the doctor answering the unspoken question oh yes i remember well i did come near but i pulled myself up in time i knew in my heart she wasn't the kind of woman then too there was helen it was only that i was feeling particularly reckless that fall besides i know now that i've cared for helen the real helen all the time and there is a real helen i believe underneath it all as i look back at them all those years I know that during every single one of them I've been trying to get away from myself. And if it hadn't been for Dad, and that's the one joy I have, that I was able to be with Dad, they weren't quite lost those years, for they brought him joy. No, they've not been lost, Burke, said the doctor with quiet emphasis. Burke laughed a little grimly. Oh, I know what you mean, of course. Been tried as by fire, well i dare say i have and i've been found woefully wanting but enough of this he broke off abruptly springing to his feet you don't happen to know of a young woman who has the skill of experience the wisdom of age the adaptability of youth and the patience of job all in one do you he demanded the doctor turned with startled eyes why burke after all this you don't mean no it's not a wife I'm looking for, interposed Burke, with a whimsical shrug. It's a stenographer or private secretary, only she must be much more than the ordinary kind. I want to catalogue all this truck Father and I have accumulated. She must know French and German. A little Greek and Hebrew wouldn't be amiss. And I want one that would be interested in this sort of thing, one who will realize she isn't handling er uh, potatoes, say." my eyes are going back on me too and i shall want her to read to me so i must like her voice i don't want anything you see he smiled grimly i should say not laughed the doctor rising but before you can give me any more necessary qualifications i guess i'd better be going to bed i don't wonder after the harangue i've given you but you don't know of such a person do you i don't no i suppose not nor anybody else finished burke denby a profound gloom that had become habitual settling over his face if i do i'll send her to you nodded the doctor halfway through the door the doctor was in a hurry to get up to his room he had a letter to write thanks said burke denby still dryly as he waved his hand in good night stenographer indeed sang the doctor under his breath bounding up the stairs like a boy wait till he sees what i'm going to get him he finished striding down the hall and into his own room before he slept the doctor wrote his letter to Helen it was a long one and a joyous one he told everything that Burke had said even to his plaintive plea for a private secretary there could be no doubt now no further delay declared the doctor Helen would come home at once of course it only remained for them to decide on the mere details of just how and when meanwhile when might they expect her in boston she would come of course to his sister's first and he trusted it would be soon very soon addressing the letter to mrs helen darling the doctor tucked it into his pocket to be mailed at the station in the morning and then for the few hours before rising time he laid himself down to sleep but he did not sleep his brain was altogether too actively picturing the arrival of helen denby and her daughter at the old denby mansion and the meeting between them and the master of the house and to think that at last it was all coming out right end of chapter eighteen